0: Hey, this is Randy Robinson, and I'm the pastor of Everyday Church. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this podcast encourages you, stretches your faith, and helps lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Let's do it. God, I pray that every heart that feels empty, would be filled by your spirit. Every heart that feels broken, that your spirit would begin to mend those wounds. Every body that's broken, God, with sickness or disease, we speak life and healing in the name of Jesus. Physical healing, emotional healing, mental healing in the name of Jesus. Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. All right. All right. Let's jump in. Here we go. Week three in our series on grace. Excuse me. I don't know about you, but this content has been very encouraging to me. Um, I'm so glad that we cannot exhaust the grace of God. I'm so glad that he doesn't get tired of me coming to him over and over again. I'm so glad that our heavenly father is a God who knows our deepest and darkest secrets and he loves us anyway. That's good news. The grace of God is more than we deserve and greater than we could ever imagine. Greater than anything we have ever or will ever face. A quick review. In the first week, we asked the question, what is grace? And grace defined in its simplest term is just unmerited favor, meaning that grace is a gift that we cannot earn and we certainly don't deserve. And we talked about how the grace of God is better experienced than explained. It's one thing to understand grace intellectually, but it's something different entirely to experience it in our hearts In the words of Kyle Eidelman, God's grace is compelling when explained, but irresistible when experienced. And so while grace is necessary to be explained, grace experienced is essential. And then in week two, uh, we once again looked at the words of the cousin of Jesus found in the New Testament book of John. John chapter one, verse 14 says the word that's Jesus became flesh And made his dwelling among us, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Jesus didn't have to preach or teach on the subject of grace because he was full of grace. His life exemplified grace. When Jesus encountered someone, grace just spilled out all over them. Jesus was grace personified when you saw jesus you saw grace and the same is true today when you see jesus or see him exemplified you see grace but he was also truth john 14:6 tells us jesus says this i am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me jesus described himself as the truth he was full of grace and truth. Grace and truth are two sides to the same coin. They are two parts of the same person. Therefore, in order to fully experience grace, we must also fully experience truth. But the problem for a lot of us is the old adage truth hurts. Because often we want to experience the grace of God, but we're not willing to face the pain of truth. Grace requires honesty. We cannot experience radical grace without brutal honesty. This is important. I said this last week, but our ability to experience and appreciate grace is directly related to our willingness to acknowledge our need for it. In other words, the more I recognize the ugliness of my sin, the more I can appreciate the beauty of God's grace. Let's look again at the words of John. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If the truth is not in us, then neither is grace. Because grace and truth go together. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, that's truth. I'm confessing. That's truth. I'm I'm abandoning everything that's inside. I'm just letting it out. If we confess our sins, that's truth. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's grace. Grace and truth. Confession equals truth. Forgiveness equals grace. Look again at the words of the brother of Jesus. James chapter five. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. That's truth. I'm opening up. I'm confessing, truth. And pray for each other. Why? So that you may be healed. That's grace. Confession, truth. Forgiveness, healing, grace. See, when I'm truthful and I'm honest with myself and God and others, I can experience a deeper level of God's grace. I don't want to re-preach the whole message from last week, but this is very important, so I wanted to take a minute and go through part of it again. Until we're willing to be honest, we will never fully experience God's grace. Never. And we closed last week's message by looking at one of my favorite passages of Scripture found in Luke chapter 18. Beginning in verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers and evildoers and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. And we talked a lot last week about comparison. If you missed it, I'd highly recommend you go back and give it a listen on the podcast or on YouTube. Verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance and he would not even look up to heaven But he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Listen to the brutal, raw, unfiltered honesty of this man. And then Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Brutal honesty releases the grace of God. Some of us haven't experienced the grace of God in a long time. And I would venture to say it's because there are areas in our lives that we have not confessed to the Lord and we're not being completely honest about. All right, that's enough of a recap. I think, and this message turned out way different than it was supposed to on the front end. So uh, the title was about giving yourself some grace. I think that one of the most difficult people to give grace to is ourselves. Has anybody ever experienced that before? I don't know about you, but for me, when I do something that I shouldn't do, say something, act a certain way, whatever, it just feels like I can never give myself grace. It's just difficult for some reason. For the most part, we believe that God's grace is available without limit for others. But we often have difficulty believing that God's grace is sufficient for us. Now, let me sidebar a minute and I'll come back to this point. The reason I said for the most part, for the most part, we believe God's grace is available without limit for others. The reason I said that portion is because there are pockets of Christianity that seem to be selective in who they're willing to offer grace to. And listen, I get it. We're human. We have a limited capacity for everything, including grace. But God doesn't. And when we impose our limitations of grace on God, we bring great confusion into our culture. We cannot preach about a God who is limitless in love, limitless in forgiveness, limitless in grace, and then treat people as if their sin is too great. All right, back to the point. For the most part, we believe God's grace is available without limit for others, but we have difficulty believing God's grace is sufficient for us. So rather than receive the grace of God for ourselves, we have a tendency to try to earn God's grace. This is certainly not a new phenomenon. This attempt to earn God's favor and grace goes back thousands of years. In one of the letters that Paul wrote to the church in the first century, he said this. Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? And so again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by you believing what you heard? See, these early Christians believed in grace a lot, but not fully. They wanted to add some work to God's grace. And that's not too far from how we do things today. It didn't seem right to them that salvation would come by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so they wanted to sprinkle God's grace with just a little bit of works. For the purpose of example, we'll call these people Sir grace a <laughs> How many of you are familiar with Sir Lancelot. I asked my daughter that last night, and she said no. Uh, The famous, one of the most famous knights of the round table, Sir Lancelot. Anybody heard of Sir Mix-a-Lot? Famous for, never mind. (laughs) If you didn't get that joke, don't look it up. (laughs) But almost all of us, without even knowing it, are familiar with Sir Grace-a-Lot. And the reason we're so familiar with Sir Grace-a-Lot is because it's us. Sir Grace-a-Lot believes in grace a lot. As in, Jesus almost finished the work of salvation on the cross. And on our journey through the river of life, Jesus rows the boat most of the time. But did you know every now and then he gets tired? And that's when he needs our help. So instead of receiving the free gift of grace that was purchased by the death of Jesus on the cross, we attempt to earn God's grace through good deeds. But here's an important question How good is good enough? How do we know when we've earned enough grace credit? How do we know when there's enough been deposited into our account? Where's the line? See, most of us can wrap our minds around this concept mentally, but for whatever reason, we have so much trouble applying it to our lives. Listen, God's standard is perfection, and the standard of perfection cannot be met. Therefore, we will always fail. That's why we need Jesus, the perfect one. The one who faced the same temptations we face yet did not sin as described in the New Testament book of Hebrews. So here's how this plays out in our lives. When we fail to reach our own self-imposed standard, it leads to guilt. And our guilt often surfaces in our lives in the form of regret and shame. So instead of living a life that's empowered by grace, we are held back by condemnation and regret and shame. And as long as the enemy can keep us in this frame of mind, we will never fulfill our destiny. We will never fulfill our purpose because we'll never be good enough. Regret is something that we all have in common. right? We all have some things that we wish we could go back and do differently. Right? My guess is all of us have some words that we wish we hadn't spoken. Some things, again, that we could do differently. Some of you have some decades you wish you could do differently. <laughs> I recently learned about a website called Secret Regrets. And it's a site where thousands, if not tens of thousands of people express regret for something that they have done. And it's a way of therapeutic healing. Um, They can post it anonymously. Some of them were vague. Uh, They said things like, I regret giving you my heart when all you wanted was my body. I regret that I never saved any money and I'll never be able to retire. I regret that I never told you how I felt. I regret that I didn't fight for us. I regret how much time I spend complaining and criticizing. And then there were others that were very, very specific. And they read something like this. I I regret that when you were a baby and I was 18 that my boyfriend was violent and I was too scared to stand up for you and me and they took you away. That was 20 years ago and I think about you every day. I regret complaining about us walking too slowly and you leaning on me for balance. It was so much harder for you being handicapped. I was just a kid and I'm sorry, mom. I regret that I never told you kids that I love you when you were growing up. And I regret for some reason I still can't say those words. I regret that I was a self-centered mother who didn't let you help me in the kitchen because I just didn't want it to get messy. Look, we all have things that we wish we could do over. Moments in our life we wish we could take back and just start over. Anybody ever been working on a document of some kind on your computer? Maybe you work for hours, you take a lunch break, you come back, forgot to save it, your computer restarted or updated, and you turn it back on and everything is gone. Anybody ever experienced that? You have to make the dreaded call to IT or the help desk or wherever it is you call to try to get help, which is a whole another frustrating thing But isn't it amazing at the end of that process when the help desk or IT walk you through the steps to restore it and everything goes back to the way it was before it was lost? On MacBook, the program is called Time Machine. And I wonder what our lives would be like if we had that program, Time Machine. What if we could use the time machine function and restore a previous version of ourselves? What would you change? Would we go back to the moment before we spoke those harsh words to your brother or your sister? Would we go back to that moment before the affair began? Would we go back to that moment before we took the first drink or tried the first drug? Would we go back to that moment before we went on the first date with that toxic person? People, people in this room and people all around us are desperate to be free from the guilt and the shame of their past. Grace is the answer. And I can tell you this, if you feel that, you're not alone. It's safe to say that all all of the disciples of Jesus experienced regret at some point. But we do have at least two specific records of Peter and Judas, who we get to we get to live their regret with them, so to speak, as we read through. On the night that Jesus was arrested, Johnny was just talking about this. Jesus or Judas had left the dinner meeting where they were having that last supper. They were celebrating the Passover. Judas had left the dinner meeting to go and meet with the religious leaders and he received 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus. And soon after Judas left, Jesus announced that all of them would fall away to which Peter adamantly rejected. He said, I'll never fall away. I'll never disown you. Even if I have to die, I will not turn my back on you. And Jesus said, Peter, Before the rooster crows in the morning, not only will you disown me once, but you are going to do it three times. And that's exactly what happened. Jesus was arrested in the garden while he was praying. All of the disciples scattered just as Jesus had predicted. But Peter and John followed from a distance to see what was about to happen. Now throughout the night, Peter was recognized and asked, aren't you one of the disciples of Jesus? To which Peter responded, No. Three times this happened. And on the third time, Peter began to call down curses as he denied even knowing who Jesus was. Look at the words from the New Testament book of Luke, chapter 22, verse 61. Peter calls down curses. He says, I don't know who he is. Then it says the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the words that the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. Watch his response. He went outside and he wept bitterly. Regret. Let's contrast that with how Judas responded to betraying Jesus. Matthew chapter 27, beginning at verse 3. When Judas had betrayed him, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied. That's your responsibility. Look at his response. And so Judas threw the money into the temple and left. And then he went away and hanged himself. Do you think that Peter didn't want to do-over? you think that he didn't wish that he would have responded differently? Do you think that Judas didn't wish he could go back in time and make a different decision? But their remorse and their regret led them in two different directions. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, verse, or chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, that godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Apparently, Peter's sorrow was godly sorrow, as described by Paul, because it led to repentance. But Judas, his sorrow, not so much, because it led to death. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. That's describing grace. It's the grace of God that leads me to salvation with no regrets, but worldly sorrow brings death. This is the description of works. This is Sir Grace a lot. This is, I believe in grace a lot, but I still want to do things my own way. I still want to earn my way into the kingdom. This always leads to death. When we miss the grace of God by trying to reach perfection on our own, it will always produce Always produce regret. Now, if your regret leads you to godly remorse, then grace is at work. Because godly sorrow leads to repentance. But if, however, your regret leads you to rationalization and justification of your actions, then grace is absent. We see that all the time. People, be, people make mistakes. Some people are regretful. They feel the weight of their actions. They feel their... You ever know somebody who's, who says they're sorry, but they're not really sorry. They're only sorry they got caught. Anybody ever experienced that? Maybe, you, maybe you've had that happen in your own life. This is the difference in godly sorrow and just regret in general. Because when we're not sorry, when we're not truly sorry, then the actions get repeated and I rationalize and I justify. And it's someone else's fault. And if this hadn't happened, then I wouldn't have done this. I'm sorry this, but you did this, this and this. I'm sorry that this, but you, but this, but that. It's always this somebody else's fault. But godly sorrow is truthful. Like we talked about, it takes ownership of the action and says, I'm sorry for what I've done. Godly sorrow brings repentance. That means to turn and change. It means to go the other way. That leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Listen to me. Grace is greater than your deepest regret. God is offering us an opportunity to receive deep healing from the wounds of the past. But we have to be willing to release our regret. We have to leave behind Sir Grace a lot. Leave behind the mentality that says, I believe in grace a lot, but I still need to pay a penalty for all of the wrong things that I've done. It's time to allow yourself to receive the grace of God. It's time to release our shame and our regret. Now, if I can say one more thing, we're going to wrap this up soon. I want to clarify the difference between shame and regret. Regret is when we feel bad about something that we've done or haven't done. Shame is feeling bad about who you are or how you think you're perceived by others or God. See, when regret leads to godly remorse or to godly sorrow, that's a good thing because, again, godly sorrow leads to repentance. Repentance leads to heart and life change. Grace is at work in this. But grace is absent when grace leads to shame. Regret says, I made a mistake. Shame says, I am a mistake. Regret says, I have failed. Shame says, I am a failure. See, regret is connected to behavior. Shame is connected to identity. Most of you know that we have four and five-year-old sons. Let's just say that they're boys and not angels. And sometimes they require discipline. One of the things that we do, we've chosen to do as part of our parenting strategy is to avoid calling them bad when they make a mistake. When they've done something wrong, we ask them, was that a good choice or a bad choice? When they go and stay with grandma, we don't say, hey, be a good boy. We say, make good choices while you're gone. Treat your brother nicely or kindly. Make good decisions. Again, this is a choice we made. If you do this differently, that's between you and God. I'm, this is not a thus saith the Lord. This is how we do it, for example. From the time that they could barely talk, we have them on video doing it, you know, when they could just barely even form words. After a moment of discipline, still to this day, I have them repeat this confession. I either get down with them face to face or I have them sit on my lap and I make them say, they repeat it after me, Daddy loves me, mommy loves me, Jesus loves me, I'm a good boy. And then I make them say, I love daddy, I love mommy, I love Jesus, I'm a good boy. Adrian doesn't like to sit in my lap and say it, so he sits beside me. <laughs> I'm kidding, I didn't know I didn't know anything about this kind of stuff when he was a kid. I probably said all kinds of terrible things to him, but <laughs> He turned out okay, so God's grace was sufficient. So I'm going to say, I love daddy, I love mommy, mommy, mommy. I love daddy, I love mommy, I love Jesus. I it, for the rest of the sermon, I'm going to do it in a British accent. <clears throat> now listen, I know theologically that we're not good, right? We're all sinners and we need a savior. But until they're old enough to understand that concept, I'm not going to let them be defined by their mistakes, I won't allow the enemy to whisper to them through the words of their father, you're a bad kid. Or allow them to feel unloved when they make a mistake. My love for them is not based on their performance. And their status as sons in my home is not defined by their behavior. And in the same way, God's love for you is not based on your performance. Your status as a son or a daughter is not defined by your behavior. A lot of us spend time running away from God because it feels like he's chasing us to collect a debt that we owe. But in reality, he's chasing us to give us something that we could never afford. Grace. I'm running from him thinking he's calling to collect the debt. And he's saying, no, son, I want to give you something you could never afford anyway. My grace, my grace. Stop dismissing the grace of God simply because you think you're not worthy to receive it. Some of you are carrying regret. If you will allow God's grace to lead you to godly sorrow and repentance, you can redeem your regrets and make something beautiful from them. Some of you in the room are carrying shame. Your identity is so connected to your mistakes that you believe that's who you are. Listen, God's grace is greater than your darkest downfall. God's grace is greater than your deepest hurt. God's grace is greater than your biggest failure. God's grace is greater than your shame. God's grace is greater period Amen. Amen. fill in the blank whatever it is God's grace is greater Amen. Amen. you don't have to live in regret you don't have to allow your decisions that you've made to be a tied to your identity and carry the shame of oh this is just who I am I'm an adulterer that's who I am I'm a liar. That's who I am. I'm a cheater. That's who I am. I'm a failure. I'm a mistake. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a whatever, fill in the blank. That's not true. You're not defined by your actions. God's love, God's love is not based on our actions. Listen, this is, this is hard. It's a hard concept. I mean, it makes sense in my mind, but I struggle. I struggle sometimes I don't know if you struggle sometimes I do how could god love me if i do this if i did this how could god love me after i said how could god how could what i did not affect my status with him as me being his son him being my father And I think of my own children, my own sons and daughters. And they haven't always made decisions that I was pleased with. But it never affected their status as my son. It never affected my love for them ever. I think probably one of the worst things a parent could ever experience is the moment that a son or a daughter comes to them and just is like, listen, I'm done with you. You're not my dad anymore. You're not my mom, whatever. I'm not submitting to you. And they just leave. And then it's just over. But the reality is, is even in that moment, there's not a separation of the blood. So I think to myself, if I can treat my own children that way, with my limited capacity for love and for grace, How much more does God love me? How much more? I don't want to be defined by my decisions. I want to release the shame. I want to release the regret. And God is inviting you to do the same thing. And maybe you're not carrying regret. Maybe you've crossed over that line a long time ago and you're like, you know, this is something I face occasionally because I think there's a, a moment, it's probably not a moment where we just stop facing it. But maybe you're beyond that where you're like, you know what? I know who I am in Christ. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. And my mistakes don't don't define me. But there are people around you who aren't at that place. And if you will allow the Holy Spirit in you, you can be an agent of grace to them to help them come along on the journey. we bow our heads and pray just for a moment? On behalf of Pastor Randy and the entire staff at Everyday Church, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. For more information on the church, please visit us at everydaychurch.xyz.